Welcome to the second episode of the Roundtable with News. In the first episode, I talked to Susanna, who is senior product designer, Alder, product manager, and Jakub, who is engineering manager. All the three work at Muse. And we discussed about how their company went from being sales and engineering driven to now being a successful product-led company. If you missed this episode, I would strongly recommend you listen to it, but we'll give you some background about what they're doing and also the relationship between the three. I've really enjoyed interviewing them. Let's get started with a second episode in which we talk about communication within a product trio with the rest of the product team, but also the larger organization. From how to position technical depth to focusing on outcomes, this product trio reminds us that product managers aren't the boss and that they should listen to and evolve their team. Welcome to Product Perspectives, the podcast for product people that gives a voice to their stakeholders, hosted by Magali Pellissier. Each weekly episode shows you the other side of the product with interviews of the people who contribute to making products a success. They are engineers, writers, marketers, support analysts, UX designers, or even salespeople. Not only will they get the credit they deserve, but they will share their perspectives on what makes a good product and product manager. Stakeholder management is a key skill for product managers. So just as you're obsessed with listening to your customers, let's hear from your stakeholders. Hi, my name is Aldir Borges. Uh, hi, I am Zuzana Hrushowska. And I'm Jakub Tkabeček. So in the first part, we talked about how you've pivoted the company from being sales and engineering driven to being more product led. And one of the final pieces of advice was bring people to the discovery sessions, have them hear firsthand uh, what the customers are saying and share that knowledge, educate people about your approach and your findings. So we're gonna talk about how we share information as a product team in this second episode. So my first question to you is, how do you share as a product trio information like do you have lots of meetings this is mostly written what do you like have you got different styles that's a loaded question (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah uh, we we share in many different ways i would say like alder is our champion of uh, of communication and of uh sharing all all information and all um outcomes of all of our research but like apart yeah, I will. I will leave you to it. And then, yeah. uh, I would say so. We we actually don't have a lot of meetings between no. each other. I think in the beginning we might have started having weekly meetings, but we we realized we got to a point that we really trusted what each other were doing. That we know that we advocate for our team. We have completely different perspectives, but whether I'm in a meeting or Susanna is in a meeting or Jakub's in a meeting. We were able to bring that information back. We tend to use uh, Dovetail a lot for our discovery. So we have a central source of discovery. Whatever we learn, uh, we'll record it and we'll put it in Dovetail, add a few notes, and we actually don't just share it with each other. We share it with our entire team. So we have a Slack channel with the team and we'll just write a couple of highlights uh, and put a link to our research repository and say, you can read more here or watch the recording. Uh, So that's like the primary source of continuous discovery, how we share information. Um, but Zuzana also created a really great uh, thing, like a discovery board, 
which we now use as sort of the central source of information. And it means we can actually share information asynchronously throughout discovery. And she's really framed it through like the whole double diamond framework. So we don't consciously have to think about what we're doing and when everything's already written down and all the links to different sources are always there. So it means that we can time box what we're working on really easily. And if things are going over, it's super easy to see, okay, here are the gaps and here's what we need to work on as well. I would maybe say they are like different layers to knowledge sharing. Like first or the smallest circle is of course Jakub and Alder, and that's you know the fastest one, the the most uh, frequent one. And then you know there is that our our team. Then if I go out, it's the it's the rest of the team that we work with. Uh, either we have maybe dependencies with or we touch like similar parts of the system. And then broader, you know, more stakeholders in the company. And then of course sometimes there are some topics we really like highlight. On a, on a company level and of course it's it's always about the the level of the detail and also about the level of education because for example if we if, as if, as alder said uh, if we are having like continuous discoveries we always would summarize it for the team uh, but then at the end of the research or not even at the end of the research but after a few sessions we sometimes want to really highlight it for the whole company like this is what we did these were the outcomes this were like our approach just for them to to uh, learn and to maybe you know uh, take our approach and make it their own or change it may and uh, to just to just share it publicly so we can we can be maybe even more uh, product-led in the future. So that's interesting because I've tried bro broadcasting basically this to the rest of the company saying this is what you we've learned and I find this mixed responses some people would read it some people would not so i'm not quite sure it always works so in the first episode we talked about the fact that you launched a product and then you measured how much people used it do you know how much people use this information do they actually read it listen to it do they know when when then you have a conversation with them and you say something they're like, oh they already know about it because you broadcasted it or do you think that there's better ways maybe to communicate to the rest of the company so like I think the first and foremost, we are measuring it for ourselves, right? Like we are uh, building like our uh, data, uh, you know, with help of our data teams to kind of convince ourselves that we did, you know, uh, good things or that there are uh, parts of the system that we need to focus on more. Um, and honestly, like at least to me, like this is a lot of it is uh, eye candy, right? Like we are sharing the results of um, the features that we deployed, you know, or some some fun facts about uh, the the things that are happening you know in our production environments and stuff like that and like that just draws people in uh, i feel like you know like we are slowly uh, and you know over the months and months we are building an audience of people that are interested in this sort of stuff it, it, it takes a while but like uh, it's you know it's first and foremost it's valuable to us so if uh, others want to partake that's that's great and we I think we started using Loom maybe a year ago now. Yeah. And that is a really two great years. way. Two years. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, we find that's a really great way to keep people engaged because and we actually just keep the videos under five minutes. Like it's incredibly difficult 
to explain everything you've been working on, whether it's just in a sprint or in a couple of months, in less than five minutes. But if you can highlight the most important part for your stakeholders, that is such a great way to keep people engaged where they don't have to be reading pages and pages of documentation or sitting through really, really long meetings. Like we do a thing called Lunch and Learns. Uh, I think mostly when we're running discovery, uh, so maybe once or twice a quarter, we'll do like a Lunch and Learn where we'll sit there and say, okay, here's a topic that we've been doing discovery on. We have some insights that we've learned. We have some outcomes. We want your feedback as well. So we want to make it engaging. It's not just a one way of us presenting information to people. Because I think that's the easiest way to lose engagement with your audience is just speak to them and not appreciate the value of their feedback uh, as well. Also, I would say what helps is the topics we usually present or we, we talk to are topics that are basically like we, we often touch pain points to a lot of uh, people like uh, it's in, in, including sales, including customer care, including uh, including people in, in product and development. And that's a good thing that actually means probably that we are uh, we, we touch something that really, really is impacting a lot of people, a lot of our clients. So uh, that's also pe people want to come there because it really affects them and they, they their daily life as well. And in turn, like, there is a lot of vested interest uh, uh, within the company to kind of you know see like the new shiny thing and like uh, you know uh, have the the latest scoop on on, on stuff yeah. as well. Does that not put pressure on you to deliver shiny things and and especially on the engineering side because you've got to to push for, you know, sorting technical debt and all of that. What do you think of that? Because if you say, well, we've worked for three months on technical debt, do you think that audience is going to be that big? Yeah, like this is all about, at least like uh, from my point of view, this is all about like the way we label this, right? Like I can either tell people that we spent three months consolidating something, or I can show them that we increased the performance of some specific modules by 30%. Right. So, um, you know, sometimes uh, you just need to package it a little bit different way. And especially and like so, some things are very easy to, to sell people on, right? Like bug reduction or maybe, you know, to, for whatever speed. speed, for whatever reason, uh, our customers run into system crashes or something, you know, whatever you pick, like we don't tend to make engineering decisions for the sake of engineering decisions. It's just, it takes a little while and like a little bit of effort to package those engineering decisions, you know, in some digestible manner uh, for everybody else. Also, I think something like, <clears throat> pardon me, Jakub is very good at when he's explaining very technical concepts is being very specific about what the outcome of that is and what the actual impact and a lot of the time when you there's like a technical consolidation, people don't see visually what the impact is, but being able to show them, even if it's just a chart for the speed and to see actually how it's changed and to explain, well, now that this is in this position, it means that we've opened up an opportunity to develop new sets of functionality. Our users will experience the system in a different way. And I think it's really good at conveying that to people as well. Yeah, we actually spent quite a lot of time on packaging uh technological things with product ones right so they always 
kind of come up as a as a one thing and like we can we can describe it in a you know digestible manner. Great. So you said you use Loom because it's asynchronous and the three of you don't have that many meetings. But Susanna and um, Jakub told me that Alder, you in lots of meetings. <laughs> so what are all those meetings about? What keeps you so busy? Yes, <laughs> it's not with them. Uh, I spend a lot of time in meetings, sometimes too much, um, with stakeholders essentially. So it's a balance of actually being able to convey what the team is working on and why we're working on specific topics, but also being involved with other product teams because our product is growing incredibly quickly, right? We went from, I think, six or seven teams at the beginning of the year, maybe less. Yeah, so six or seven teams up to 24. So all our teams, like even if they get small, they are there's a very fine line on how they're linked, like they very closely interact across the product. So I do spend a fair amount of time speaking to other product managers, speaking to stakeholders in the company, constantly engaging with sales, with commercial and with places like customer care. Like there's an incredible amount of information that we miss if we don't listen to our support teams. But a lot of the times we get information through the way of things like tickets. But if you actually spend time with the support teams and actually go to the support decks, spend 15 minutes or spend two hours there, like actually answer a support ticket, I promise you it brings back a whole different perspective. So I say a lot of those meetings that I do are with cases like that, but also joining pre-sales calls and actually understanding like, as we're growing, what is being expected in the market? What are people asking of us? And in hospitality, people have been using really, really old versions of systems, right? And a lot of those are very much restricted by the fact that they were on-premise, the technologies that were available at the time. So even the expectations are completely different. And being able to see that in product and be able to inform the team that, listen, we like now we're starting to think already what we're working on for next year. Uh, so I'm in calls with some, some pre-sales calls, speaking to the different departments and trying to figure out, you know, which direction we're all going as a company so that as a team, we figure out what we're going to be working on in terms of our product quality, its performance, and what brings the best value to our users. That was a very long answer. No, perfect. And seems that you're doing the product manager role as we expected. But going back to your first point at the beginning of this episode where we said, oh, it's so important to have everybody hearing customers talking, you know, being in the user research. Do you bring sometimes the rest of the team to those pre-sales calls, those calls with the support team? Is this also part of you bringing everybody into that? Yeah, yeah for sure. And it's, uh, I will admit, it's not all of them. <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm them. Uh, but I, I would like to make sure the team is involved in the decisions we're making and understands why we're working on stuff. There's a huge amount of value in not, I don't want to be, how would I say that, sort of the blocker and the middleman. I feel that everybody has the right to know what we're working on, what the problems are. And we've been really fortunate that I feel like I've spoken to other product managers, maybe in, in different companies, and they mentioned that like getting engineering on a call is difficult. I think having Jakub on those calls has put our team so far ahead in terms of how fast we make decisions and why we make them. And you can already see it from the way the team accepts what ideas and problems we thought we put towards them. 
And it also means that as a product manager, I'm not falling into that trap of saying, hey, this is what we're solving and here's how we're solving it, but rather being able to frame the problem and having Jakob there and Susanna being able to frame exactly how the solution delivers and will, will be delivered and how it'll affect the users. It is so nice and to the point that some of the people in the team are willing to uh, and actually speak to customers. Right? Like it takes a bit of confidence to get everybody there. And I think, again, that's something Jakub's done incredibly well that he's groomed the team to be open to actually going to visit customers, going to actually listen to their problems. Yeah, Jakub, maybe what did I take? Because, yeah, I've been in companies where there some developers yeah, they wanted to code, didn't want to talk to the customers. Did that take some training? Did that take some convincing or did it come naturally? What did you do? I would say they do it just because they see that it's possible, right? Like it's not, uh, you, you know, like whatever the preconception there is about uh, developers, uh, you know, in the world. It's obviously all true. Uh, <laughs> but like more than that, like they spent a huge amount of time on this like a virtual thing you know in the in the in the, this code space that uh, you know takes the data and manipulates the data and then like returns the data and i like i honestly feel that having that sort of work grounded in some real stories from real people about real problems you know in a real world i i think it changes per perspective you know it's no longer you are no longer manip manipulating data cubes, you know, in a system. You are all of a sudden solving like a specific problems for a specific person uh, on a front desk of the hotel. And um, it's just, I, I, I think it shifts like ownership of, uh, you know, your work quite a bit uh, more on like every single person, you know, instead of, you know, us three saying, you know, we are running the product. Like we are maybe running the team, right? But like they are making it. Uh, and if we have uh, QA engineers engaged in, uh, uh, you know, discovery and they know what we will uh, start making in, in a three months and they can prepare uh, automated tests for it, uh, you know, already because they know it will happen. It's that's perfect. That's, that's great. That's, that's them thinking way ahead and being way, way ahead of the curve as well. I would say like general mindset of everyone in our team it's that we are solving a problem and not that we are like you know making a piece of code which will just go away after I'm done and I don't have to ever see it again. I would say that we really nicely somehow naturally <laughs> managed to just to just cultivate that mindset uh, with everyone with the team like that that mindset where the developer asks you after you know i did this do we have data on this what do users says what do users say is it performing yes or no because they are just naturally curious because that's just something we communicate uh within the team every day even during discoveries like from uh the design point or and discovery and design like when i am designing something alder mentioned loom videos uh figma or you know if we have any outcomes from uh, usability testing i would share all of that for developers and for everyone in the team just to see that 
ahead even though uh you know we are maybe not working on that yet it hasn't been you know approved and finished yet but it's just like keeps everyone in the loop and helps bringing in uh new ideas like one thing that i actually want to point out as well is that this really is like a whole team right so if that team sees out there actually uh making a code changes like he actually commits into the into, into our code base right and uh, uh zuzana actually like looking into the hard data you know in our monitoring system like that brings them to this like a mental space where oh yeah actually if they are doing that if they are doing like a little bit of my job right like actually uh, there is this like a uh, innate permission of i can actually like talk to customers because like why wouldn't i that this this would uh, help me uh, so much to do my uh, job better yeah Exactly. We don't have like strict lines between us. I don't think it has ever happened like, whoa, this is, you know, my part. I am one, you know, I don't know, framing the problem. It's not your job. It's like it's that that has never happened. It's all the, the culture is very uh, open in terms of like questioning, asking about anything, really going there and back. And everyone has a has a, a space at the table to just to just step in and uh, ask or or pro uh, propose uh, anything. Yeah, I think that that leaves so much space for people to actually be creative and to be curious. Right when you put walls up between what you can and can't do, suddenly you know you start thinking in a really narrow narrow lane rather. And then when you open it up. You can be curious about which it, whether it's you're in engineering and you want to look at data, or whether you're in design and you want to look at data. You can you can actually see the impact of your work and really understand that you are making a difference. And I think like breaking down those walls, it's so much more fun to work when everybody is constantly curious and constantly has ideas and different opinions. It's it's really nice. I actually got this question when we had this trio talk uh, in public and one I think uh, one guy asked me like okay if he was a designer so um, what amount of information from your PM is like too much like do you care about all the you know business stuff he's throwing at you because it, it was kind of like where do you draw the line between the information from your PM you're just not interested anymore and those which are like valid for you and I just told him there's no line like literally everything both Jakub and Alder share with me either like insights from the business or more background about how things are built and why certain things can or cannot be done it just gives me, you know, wider, wider view of, of the world we are trying to, you know, improve and build. And I would say it's vice versa. I share everything I can with uh, with them. And uh, I, I think there's a great value in that. Great. And that's quite impressive. So well done on this, given what you've talked about in the first episode, which was, you know, being, moving from being a, a sales and engineering led organization. So congratulations on this way of working, which is much more aligned with a product mindset. I can't help but thinking that this has a toll on the outputs, the velocity. You know, you have to be involved in some meetings instead of, you know, developers just being focused on coding. You share some information, it takes time uh, to, to, to get that information, to, to write it or to communicate it recording the Zoom video. So all of this takes a bit more time and can impact the 
the, the quantity of output, but it's fine because a product product team needs to be focused on outcome. But does this mean that there's been an impact on the resourcing? Like, did you have to hire one more developer, for example, or do you, do you have some help from a UX researcher who can help you with those interviews? Product operation or program management who can help you think, do you have some help or do you just absorb it as a team? Help, thanks, <laughs> uh, this is coupled with like uh, news growing so much, right? Like especially in uh, past two years, I guess. Um, yeah, like we obviously, you know, like all of these teams that exist around us, you know, like we are not the we are not the lone island in the in the middle of the ocean, and uh, you know, it's so much help from everybody else, especially if we have a like particular problem that we don't have expertise in. Right, like we can we can go to a different team and you know say, guys, like I have no idea how to measure customer effort score. Like, can you can you help us with that? And uh, yeah, that's that, that that's great. And like obviously that means that you know we are willing and able to kind of onboard a request from other teams, you know, and maybe help them if they struggle with some you know uh, particular part of the system that we might have a better expertise in. We've been hiring now, I guess, product con product con product not content, but product marketing teams as well. I think for the first time in the last quarter, we actually engaged with product marketing to do like market research in an initiative yeah. we're working on, which is that something helpful. we'd have yeah, because we would have touched on it a bit, but the amount of depth of information they were able to give us was incredible. It made such a big difference in helping us move much, much faster. And I think the same with our research team now that we have research and we can, for example, if Susanna creates a prototype, she can hand it over to the researchers and they can actually go out and speak to customers. And it frees up our hands to continue to the next version and look into the data and be able to answer a different set of questions. So it's really handy as you grow. Uh, once you're able to have those additional teams, it helps you speed up your process a lot. But I, I don't think I ever ever felt that you know us being on meetings kind of impacts what we can achieve in the in the end. Like obviously, you know, it's, it's still faster than doing it in a wrong way, yeah, <laughs> and, sure. and the need then to redo yeah. it. So and like obviously, everybody has this like a veto veto vote. Uh, you know, if you if you feel that you can be on a meeting, like you know, don't be like it's 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 great. Like uh, you know, if you feel comfortable. With the with the workload, if if you don't like, we will figure it out. It's 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 that's fine. But it's your responsibility and privilege to manage your own time. It's just yeah, it's in everyone's hands. And honestly, I think it we save a lot of time because we don't have like once we're done with discovery, you suddenly have to sit with like an hour long call with the entire team to go through everything we've learned from discovery from the start. It might have been like a week's worth of discovery or two weeks, but it's a huge amount of information to go through with the team, explain to them the problem, why are you doing it, all the data points. And they're inevitably asking questions that we asked during discovery. Whereas once we get to the core, when we are looking at an initiative that we're going to invest in, it's not trying to describe to a team. It's 30 minutes of how do we groom and slice this issue? Why are we slicing like this? What is technically possible? And you move so much faster because you spread that throughout the entire discovery process. Yeah. And also us not building MVPs anymore makes really makes this fast much faster as well. Yes, yeah, that's great.
Yeah. <laughs> Agree. What's the story around that MVPs? Was it not a thing before? Was it what's the story? Uh, we had a very strong. <laughs> I touched on some things. <laughs> we don't we don't do MVPs. We don't like it. We we it, it doesn't work yeah. for us. We dislike it as a concept. Yeah. Um we strongly believe that like having like our product is quite mature at this point, right? We're iterating and building on top of existing functionality. If you are a brand new product coming to market, sure, it makes sense to have an MVP and figure out the product market fit, to, uh, how are people using it, do people want to use it? But when you're iterating on a growing product and you're expanding, the biggest lie you can say to yourself is, I'm going to work on this, this will be the MVP, and we'll come back to it in three months. Because six months will go by, and then nine months will go by, and you haven't touched it, and then two years go by, and all your users are using is the minimum viable and sometimes not even and it's not even it's not yeah. the minimum lovable it doesn't provide a minimal experience it doesn't provide any minimal value to your users there's more to like an mvp than just saying good enough there are iterations that you need to go through and like being able to beta taste functionality and put it put it in front of your users and be able to continuously iterate to a point where okay we know sales value. How do we make it in terms of the design? Like, how do we make the experience actually lovable? How do we make it like scalable to different business types? And then you actually can put it out in the world for something that's much stronger and you can spend more time on that. It's sort of like having OKRs for a quarter versus stretching them out of this is what the company is achieving this year and breaking down on how you can achieve it. That MVP is just saying like we're done and then we're going to have a whole whole different direction. It also it also increases the risk from our point of view because MVP usually is something like MVP is bigger than the minimal slice, minimum slice we can do. And we have good relationships with our customers and a lot of customers are very keen to be beta testers. We have customers who are like, okay, do you have something even, you know, earlier than beta testers? We want it, we want to try it because they uh, they are willing to accept the fact that this is just some partial functionality, but like cooperation with these customers really helps us to uh, like find out whether there's a problem very, very early on. If I would be launching something up after its MVP, I can maybe catch a problem after spending three months on it instead of three weeks. So, like the just just saying MVP like puts I think at least puts people in a weird headspace. Like it's, uh, it's Neg negative, negative one. Well, yeah, like because you are already saying you know this is this is product, this is viable, this will actually work. You know, this is like I cannot do any less than this. You know, with the with the minimal part, and like. Either you know that all of these things are true, you know, and in which case you are just building product, like just call it the product, or you don't know about at least some of some of those three things, in which case you are doing an experiment, just call it experiment, like just like put people in a in a place where they are willing to remove it again if it doesn't perform, right? Like if it if it doesn't work, let's get rid of it. Um, yeah, and saying MVP just, I, I think just, it just prevents people from like thinking that way. 
Great, and that's going to be a great uh, link to our next conversation in the following episode, which is about what's your goal, you know, what does success look like? How do you agree, all of you, that uh, you're satisfied with what you've delivered? Uh, so before we move on to that, I'm just thinking about the people who listen and will think, wow, this is great, the way they operate and share information. I, as a product manager, want to do the same. What can I do? So if each one of you could say what a product manager should tell to your team. So what should a product manager tell to engineering design and to other product managers to, to say, oh, you know, to, to suggest the idea that this is the, the right way to work? So what should like Alder tell us to? Uh, no, Alder, uh, um, okay, <laughs> good point. <laughs> no, um, so if Alder was a product manager, what would, like, well, you are, no, okay, let's not take Alder. <laughs> so if Susanna, you were a product manager, what would you tell okay. a UX designer to convince them to work that way? So the product managers would say to tech people, so tell me how do you build it right like give them the opportunity to like build it in their heads themselves first i would say the product manager should not not say but really uh include the the ux designer or the product designer and uh just to really make them feel like both of them you know are deciding because in some in some companies i've seen product managers being kind of you know bosses of the team where they would you know just uh maybe put their uh opinions on others and basically saying okay designer design this but i wouldn't say that's the place where you can be the most you know fruitful and bring bring up the best from this relationship so from product managers i would say like don't be a boss to, to your designer you are peers and together you know with the tech lead you can bring in the best it's not like you are uh ordering what we are going to do it's like you're just you know bringing others in to 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 do it to yeah okay. I that mixed in it yeah good point and uh, so Alder so you said the, the product team has grown quite a lot over the last year so if that wasn't the mindset of these other product managers and I'm, I'm sure you've talked to them what did you tell them to convince them that this is a good way to work listen to your team because if you can bring them or rather listen to your team and bring them the problems, don't bring solutions. Your job as a product manager is to translate those business problems to your team so that they can find solutions like the best products are built by engineers. They are designed by designers. If I go and I I am terrible at designing or drawing, Zuzana is having a good laugh because it's terrible. If I go to Susanna and go, I have this amazing idea, we should do this and tell the same to Jakub, immediately they're going to be like, okay, what is it? But why? If, and why? And again, it's just going to be a whole bunch of questions. Like exactly what you would ask a customer. But if you're able to frame that you have an opportunity for a problem for you to solve together, 
respect that you don't know everything. You don't know or have the expertise in every single part. And some people do. They've been experienced in a different roles. But the people are good at what they are good at. And if you're able to open up those ideas and be open to people's perspectives, and sometimes you're not going to agree with them. Sometimes you're going to question what they say. But if you're actually open to the information they give you, it's so nice to work with a team that's then engaged with information. They're not standoff. And it helps you move so much faster and you will enjoy every problem you're solving. Because I think a lot of what we do and a lot of why we like products and engineering and design is we like to solve problems. We don't like people to give us a puzzle and tell us, this is this puzzle I finished. Uh, tell me how great it is. No, give us, give me the puzzle pieces. Let's fix it together. Great, perfect. And that is a nice transition into everybody's got their area that they are strong in, so UX, product, and engineering. And how do you make sure you are aligned in the way you measure success? So we'll see that in the next episode. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. If you have suggestions for topics and guests, or any feedback, you can write to Magali Pellissier at hotmail.fr.